this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 31. We're recording on Thursday, December 5th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are the editors of BookRiot.com. Jeff, hello. I'm feeling better. Are you? Uh, the last couple of shows, which we've, it seemed like we recorded forever ago now. Yeah, it's been two weeks. I've been in a little Jeff withdrawal. Well... It's understandable. It um, happens. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it turned Christmassy since we had talked. I mean, we did the gift guide show last time. That was the last uh, episode that was released. Mm-hmm. And then I have to admit, it didn't feel like Christmas time quite yet, but it does now. Oh, yeah. And I have the completely shameless Spotify playlist history from the last four days mm. to, uh, to prove that it has turned Christmassy, at least in my office. Yeah, I've already had one viewing of White Christmas, uh, <laughs> only 10,851 to go. Yeah, I, uh, I saw Home Alone for you know the oh, like, yeah. four millionth time earlier <laughs> this week. There's an old theater in Richmond that uh, was showing it, and there were a bunch of kids in the audience. Oh, you, a... you went to go see it? You didn't just watch yeah. it on TV? Oh, no, that's I went awesome. to go see it, and there were a bunch of kids that you could tell. I like, had never seen it before, and they were giggling and cheering, and it was so great, and I think my heart grew three sizes. Did they make a collective uh, gross noise when uh, he steps on that nail? Everybody like squirmed. And when he, you know, first, when he first does the queuing up the video um, for the pizza guy and then for the bad guys outside and sets up those firecrackers in the kitchen, uh, the kids, all the kids just sort of went nuts. But I had forgotten like how great and slapsticky Home Alone is, and like it's really made for kids. They're so campy. Yeah. Um, now, so that came out in '88. Is that right? Something like I think that? So. I think so. it was like '88 or '90. Yeah, that was ten. So I was I was in the wheelhouse. Yeah, I uh, saw it in theaters when it came out. And you you uh, only been like five. That's pretty young. Uh, in '88, I would have been yeah six. Uh, six. Okay. Um, so it's Christmas time. We're in the Christmas mood. Um, speaking of, we mentioned we did the gift guide show. That was episode thirty. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it, didn't we? We had a lot of fun doing it. We did. That. It was great. And we've had a lot of good um, feedback about it. And I think we moved some titles there. Yeah. And there are uh, a lot of cool listener comments now in the show notes as well for other suggestions that listeners had for the recommendations that we had. That's right. And um, tomorrow, I, I don't know if the show will be out on time. So uh, is that tomorrow we're doing the redirect thing? On Twitter? Is yeah, that on, on Friday, December 6th oh, from okay. 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. So, so we're not going to get that for this show. But you know what? If you find us on Twitter, you can always at mention Rebecca or I if you have an, uh, a question about a book, and we'll do our best to answer those still. Um, also, one other thing to mention that's coming up for a deadline is we earlier in Book Riot, we did our Read Harder t-shirts, and we sold a bunch of them, but we also got a bunch of requests after the campaign was over, like, I missed it, I want one, I saw someone else wearing it. So we opened that back up, and that closes down Sunday night, is that Sunday correct? Sunday night, yeah, you can go to teespring.com slash readharder, it's T-E-E, spring.com uh, slash readharder, and our shirts are available through Sunday night, December 
Eighth, yeah, December eighth. They're twenty bucks. Um, there's a couple. It's all the same design, but they're a couple different cuts. I guess is what would you call that? Yeah, there's a crew neck and a V neck option for men, and a crew neck and a V neck option for women. Yeah, and while we're on gifts, so yeah, so check that out, and um, we have pictures on the side of of a bunch of our people wearing. And if you get one, shirt. send us a picture yes, of you absolutely. wearing it. We'd love to see that. Um, while we're on the gift and follow ups uh, tip. Scribd announced that they've got gift cards for their ebook subscription service. Um, those are available now. Um, so I think you can buy them in denominations of, let's it see. It looks really flexible. Yeah. Um, one month, three months, six months, or a year. So if you have a person in your life who loves to e-read and who goes mobile, uh, particularly maybe somebody who's on an Android device, because right. uh, Oyster, which we both love, is still for Apple devices only, mm -hmm. uh, you can do Scribd on Android devices. You can do Scribd outside the U.S., uh, which you can't do Oyster yet. So that's a good option if you're looking into it, or maybe you want to buy one for yourself. And yeah. so we'll put the, the uh, link to the Scribd gift cards in the show notes, but happy to see them developing that too. I think that three months for 25 bucks is what I would do if I were Pretty doing this. Pretty sweet. Because six months, you don't know if someone's going to use it that long. And one month isn't really enough. I don't really think to know if that's going to be a habit, but three months is a good, you know, I've got some time to use it. I don't have to try to stress out and use it right now during the holidays. Right. Um, but that gives you a good leash to, to see what mm -hmm. works. So let's do our and, first sponsor. Yeah, since we're talking about apps. Yeah, Terminology, um, an app from Agile Tortoise, their developer. And this is a very cool app for iPhones and iPads. It's kind of like a dictionary and thesaurus on steroids is, is how I'm thinking about it. Like it's an app for anyone mm -hmm. who loves words. Um, if you're a writer, if you do a lot of reading on your phone or iPad, um, it's also a really good way when you inevitably are going to encounter a word or an idea that you don't know, um, it's it's a built-in dictionary in thesaurus. But the thing that I like about it most, there's a lot of online dictionaries in thesaurus, a couple things. One, it's it's a built-in app, or excuse me, a built-in app, but it's a, an, an app that you can download, so you don't have to go to the web, so it's fast. Uh, it's also beautiful. It's $2.99, but what that means is you don't have ads, which if you go to like dictionary.com or thesaurus.com, there's ads that slow down the experience and make the user interface harder um, to navigate. So here it's very simple, very clean, very nice typography. Yeah, it's um, really quick and very uh, slick also. Very slick. And so you can do your normal dictionary and thesaurus stuff, which is nice. But there's a there's another feature that I like uh, that I really haven't seen anyone do before. And this is – so you look – I was just looking up because one of our favorite uh, – hobby horses here is methodology corner, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was just looking up methodology just to see what it had there. Um, but one thing it can do is it gives you synonyms, but it also gives you sort of words that are related and around the word. So here, so for, um, I got to, I was browsing through because you can get kind of like a, a Wikipedia wormhole by doing associative browsing here. So I got down all the way to lexicologist, the compiler writer of a dictionary, and it gives you a synonym, but then it gives you more specific and less specific terms. Oh, I love that. So it's kind of like, you know, when um, you remember when you were doing research for a term paper in college and you went down into the stacks and you'd find the book you were looking for, but there's also a bunch of books around it that seemed interesting for whatever you're trying mm -hmm. to do. You, this is the same thing that happens at a bookstore as well. But you, just going to one particular book, you don't aren't limited to just that particular word. You can sort of see a halo of related words, and then you can then you're off to the races if you start tapping and seeing what's available there. So my more specific word um, was entomologist, neologist, and a, a word I've never seen before, a synonymist. Oh. Um, and that is a student of synonyms. Nice. Which seems like an appropriate uh, one to end on here for uh, terminology. 
Um, it's terminology three. It's the most uh, recent version of the app updated for iOS 7. It's a universal app for iPad and iPhone, so you can use it on both. Um, there's also some things you can do if you find some entries that you want to keep. Like, I want to come back to this. I want to use this word later. Um, you can save your searches, and you also can save them to iCloud and Dropbox. So if you're on your iPad or, or you're on your iPhone reading and you want to save it for a project you're working on later and you write on your iPad, boom, it'll appear there in your search history there. You can export to drafts and use URL actions, which I'm not going to explain, but if you know what those are, um, that's probably pretty exciting for you. So many to people's do. nerdy parts just started I know, tingling. Right? Um, so it's it's also has built-in search on Google and Wikipedia. So if you're browsing around looking for words um, and you want to see a longer, you know, a Wikipedia entry or see what's out there on the wider ocean of the internet about a particular word or idea, you can find it right there. It doesn't launch a new browser window, so it stays right in the app. So it's even faster and it doesn't clutter up. Um, and if you want to go back into the app, you don't have to get out of Safari or Chrome or whatever you're using and get right back in there. Um, so just search the App Store on your phone or your iPad or your Mac or wherever it is that you go to the uh, App Store to buy what you want. Three bucks. Um, and it's a heck of a deal. I think it's it a great is. tool. I think it's great. It's really fun for people who love words. I've had some fun poking around at it. You can get more details at agiletortoise.com slash terminology, or like Jeff said, search the uh, Apple App Store for terminology and take a look there. Let us know if you try it out, if you discover any new that's words, right. if you decide to become a synonymist. Synonymist. <laughs> that's too much. I have not had enough coffee. Yeah, I know. It feels like someone who makes cinnamon rolls uh, is <laughs> what that should be. How can I sign up for that job? Yeah, seriously. All right, so let's get to the news. So thanks to Agile Tortoise for big sponsoring. news this week. Well, this happened at a random time, right? It was right? like, was it Sunday, Sunday night? night? Well, because it was, it was um, 60 Minutes. Right. And I was like, why is the internet exploding? It's Sunday night. <laughs> I had heard rumors that uh, Jeff Bezos uh, had, there was a long, let's be honest, puff piece <laughs> on, <laughs> I watched it after the fact, on um, Amazon and Bezos on 60 Minutes uh, he was interviewed by Charlie Rose. Uh, I mean, what you know is he's not a hard-hitting uh, interviewer you, by any stretch of the imagination. Do you mean to imply that Amazon might be selective about yeah. its PR opportunity? Yeah. So I had heard some rumors that there was going to be a big announcement from Amazon, and I had no idea. I mean, I, I was I trying mean, to who think. Knows at this yeah, who, point it could what be it could anything be. with Amazon, right? Like they're going to build their own river, the Amazon River, to power <laughs> their data center or something. Um, but it, it turns out that it was a i mean in hindsight it's obvious now i think to everyone who is serious that this is a pr slash way down the line thing but essentially they premiered a video and um bezos described amazon delivery by drone which <laughs> sounds like something the onion would do it, it does and it's like welcome to the future yeah seriously uh and basically the video and we'll drop this link in the show notes too i think it explains it pretty well is that 30 what they're trying to go is for 30 minute deliveries where you know you order something it gets automatically pulled off the line put in these little boxes a it's a drone i mean some people have questioned whether or not this is a drone or not i mean it's, it's like a, a remote control, control helicopter thingy they're called yeah. octocopters which i mean let's talk about that right. word for a second and yeah how great if some it of is. them uh, band together we'll have to get spider-man to take care of them but and they and it picks it up and it flies through the air and it drops it off at your doorstep which pretty cool pretty cool but then once you start thinking about it 
there's like yeah the the piece from wired that we're looking at yeah. is noting like the faa just unveiled rules for unmanned aircraft integration into national airspace last month and so there are some significant challenges to rolling out a program like this and making it comply with those rules but you'd also have to live within a 30 minute drone flight of an amazon fulfillment right. facility which i don't know how long it how far an octocopter can fly in 30 minutes I well i was how... reading some things about current drone technology and about fi- that's about 15 miles apparently okay. they can go about 30 miles an hour yeah that's not too bad there's a there's quite a few technical problems one is the battery life i guess mm. um if they they'd have to have so many batteries to swap out because the, a drone will just eat through um, that what's available in a battery pack and of that size. Like, what if your drone crashes and someone else gets the diapers yeah, you the ordered weather, by emergency? I mean, there's just a whole bunch of problems with it. So I think there's really two things that are going on. I think they do want to do this, right? I think I don't think oh, this yeah. is just some vapor hardware situation, but it's a not anytime soon, and a not in it's not going to happen in anything like a. I don't know, really mass scale. So the problems are these. So we talk about battery, but one is weather is a huge problem. Uh, you know, these things are pretty mm-hmm. light. And if it's windy at all, um, they're going to get blown off course and they can get struck by lightning and how they're going to react to rain, uh, rain and birds. Stuck in trees. And, uh, you know, people with shotguns. Um, <laughs> so there's just a whole bunch of Armies problems. Armies of independent booksellers yeah, shooting, shooting down, down Amazon drones. Yeah, just think of how many points. You could like bring them into Powell's and get like a gift card per drone that you bring in. Uh, <laughs> the other, So I think what's really going on here, A, I think it's a big ad for Amazon going into the holiday season. I think that's part of it. Sure. They don't do a lot of ad buys. Um, in fact, they don't really do any on television that I'm aware of. Um, they do, you know, they do some ad stuff online, mostly for Audible and the Kindles, but yeah. for just Amazon services themselves, they yeah, tend there's not to some do a lot. Paper white commercials running oh, there right are. now. Yeah, there mm-hmm. definitely are. So I think part of it is going into the the probably, you know, every year is Amazon's biggest shopping year in the holidays. But they're, you know, they're going to make so much money, and this is a way to remind people that Amazon is there. I think it's also. I think it tells us some interesting things about Amazon, which which I wasn't to pick your brain about. Um, I think Amazon's a little bit afraid of starting to feel boring. Hmm. Um, does that make sense? It it does. So, what can we do to keep people yeah. talking about us? And and I, I thought it was also a strategic move to, even though it, it won't be implemented anytime soon. It's a strategic way to remind competitors, like, yep. look, we are always thinking about the future. Yeah. And Walmart is like, oh, God. Right. Not- and for <laughs> me, this was, I thought, you know, this is a really good reminder that uh, we, you know, we always talk about Amazon as being about books and where Amazon falls in the book space and the competition and the tension that exists between Amazon and Indies and basically Amazon and everyone else. Uh, but this is a really clear reminder, I think, that Amazon is mostly about not books mm-hmm. um, in terms of the products that it sells. Like uh, this, this piece says, you know, they're thinking that these drones will work for five pound packages or less uh, within a 10 mile radius. And I was thinking, you know, this is probably it is like a, you, you're you going to use the kid's last diaper and <laughs> or so, you know, something like right. that. You re- you're realizing it like, no. yeah, like you're realizing at 10 <laughs> o'clock at night that you've got two diapers left and you're going to need them in the morning. And now you can have your package of diapers flown to your doorstep by an Amazon drone uh, in 30 minutes or less and solve that problem. Um, yeah. It's, 
Yeah, it, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's uh it's not like jump the shark. We're scared of being boring, but it's definitely an outrageous move. Yeah, I was also doing some Twitter speculation because it was Sunday night and that's my online kind of goofing off time. And part of me is like, it's one of those ideas that you might have at like a college drunk bull session. Like, yeah, what if we get these octocopters? We and, fly people and we'll stuff. fly we'll fly stuff right to them. We'll drop it off their doorstep. And then you start. And then in the cold light of day, the next morning, I was like, "Yeah, that'd be fun." But X, Y, and Z. Right. And they're like, they're 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 pursuing this, and it's a little Howard Hughesy to me. It's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's some. Finally, you know, I tend not to be the kind of person that. Uh, you know, thinks the worst of Amazon and wants to pound them all the time. But this might be a little bridge too far just in terms of their business. Like, really? You want to you want to try to do this? I, I do think it reveals something about what Amazon sees as the limitations of its business right now and its infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we talked about it on the show, but they signed that deal with the Postal Service to deliver on Sundays. Yeah. Um, and I got my I don't first, think we talked about that. I got my first uh, Sunday Amazon package this week. So that's already out there. Um, but the infrastructure, they rely on UPS and DHL and local couriers and the post office. And I'm wondering if they're starting to see that dependency as a problem uh, to hmm. some degree. And also, it requires people. And people right. are expensive. And the larger they get and the smaller they want the deliveries to be, the the margin really plummets. So if you can cut out some of that marginal cost of delivery, um, that becomes really interesting for them. But it does feel a little bit like, I don't know, Virgin Airlines <laughs> shooting people into space for money. Like, it's just a little bit nuts. A little, it is a little bit nuts, but I think it also does make sense. You know, Amazon it does, has it does. played a lot on immediacy and um, the quick turnaround of deliveries, particularly since they introduced Prime and Next Day and and one click and and convenience. You know, they they really want to be convenient for people, mm-hmm. um, not just the first option that someone thinks of when they sit down to search for a product, but the one that people know they can get the thing from the fastest. Like, if you could get a thirty minute delivery by Octocopter. Why would you need to run to the store down the right. street? No, it's true. It's true. Um, so we're, that's something we're going to watch out. The other thing that, as you mentioned, the FAA regulation just came out is that it could be the first salvo in the lobbying campaign um, mm-hmm. to uh, get permission to do this. Because you can also imagine, too, frankly, from an aesthetic point of view, I don't want this. Like, it could, from as a consumer, I like the idea of this. First of all, my apartment building, it would, you know, just wouldn't work in New York the way it. <laughs> things are set up but i also don't just want them drones flying around like i just don't want that i mean that's you know what i mean (laughs) this is offensive to your sensibilities no it's just like it's 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 they're loud i don't know if you've ever been around a remote control helicopter yeah they're loud (laughs) and they're just around i just no i just don't want that last year we bought a nephew a remote control helicopter for christmas and bob had so much fun with it that by new year's he owned two of them I have lived with many. So in two years, me, Rebecca, can we get our own (laughs) octocopter? I'll name him Kevin. Right. That would, uh, it would probably happen here. I don't really want them either, except for the cool factor. Like, that's just pretty cool. But no, it definitely uh, is awesome technology. Since you mentioned the the Sunday deliveries, that's only available in certain areas. Um, and and Amazon, you know, really had to bend the uh, United States Postal Service to get that to happen. And so these octocopter things uh, would be geographically limited as well by 
what, like you were saying, by like, how would you navigate New York City? I There's see. I don't know. The, <laughs> Just don't the, know. the places where a drone can fly most easily are maybe also the farthest away from Amazon facilities. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. It could be that they're going to use them to fill in coverage areas where they've got gaps, right? Like yeah. you can imagine in our in our in our in my home state and um, your your adopted state of Kansas, mm-hmm. um, that there are some places that aren't super close to an Amazon fulfillment right. s- facility, <laughs> and so maybe and you know it's far to go um, over gravel roads to deliver um, turkey bacon um, <laughs> out to the farm. I don't know why I picked that. That's so weird. I'm really sad that turkey bacon is the first kind of bacon you think of, Jeff. Well, they've got regular bacon on the farm already, so they wouldn't need that in a pinch. Okay. Um, (laughs) Boy, I guess we're going to have to leave that there. I think we are. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. So we're going to follow that. This is a long-term story. Um, Don't look to the friendly skies anytime soon to see an octocopter, but uh, do look at the video to get a sense of what... They're wanting to. All right, let's 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 take a trip down to the corner, to Methodology Corner. Going on down to Methodology Corner. So last week, The Guardian did a... I'm sorry. The Guardian reported on a study um, that asked 16 to 24-year-olds about their reading preferences. And it's our old friend, the ebook versus print book divide. Man, I was wondering when someone would get around to asking <laughs> no, that question. No, we were wondering. <laughs> Finally, uh, we can figure this out. So the company's name is Voxburner which immediately makes me not like them. But um, they surveyed, these These are Brits, first of all. Um, so who knows? This may not even be accurate data for any other regular human. Uh, 1,420 <laughs> young adults ages 16 to 24 about their preferences for digital content versus actual printed material. I like that actual there, right? <laughs> Turns out, my favorite phrase, uh, 62% of respondents would rather crack open a paperback than read something on their Kindle. Okay. Okay. Of those that preferred physical books to digital ones, 51% responded, I like to hold the product. Other, oh my God. Did they mention the smell? Uh, I hope so. Here, here we go. Here, wait. Other pro book arguments included, I can easily share it. I like the packaging. And comments outside the range of included options were, I want full bookshelves and I like the smell. People, the <laughs> smell of books is not a good reason for resisting progress. <laughs> So I don't know that we have a methodology problem here necessarily. We don't know too much about how they pick these people. Um, you know, if, they, if they're young adults in a library, you know, there could be some bias there. I think the, the thing that my radar went off on was the prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't actually ask them what they were reading um, on or what they imagined themselves reading on or if they wanted an e-reader or a tablet. It was just which do you prefer? Let me ask you, do you prefer a physical book to an ebook? Mm, I don't even know anymore. Right. If pressed, Honestly. I think I might say yes. Yeah, for the types of things that I read a lot of, like for literary fiction that I take a lot of notes on, I do still prefer paper. Yeah, let me ask you a different question. Do you prefer champagne to water? Definitely. Well, see, that's that's kind of where I'm going with this is like I can prefer uh, a Kansas City Strip to peanut butter and sandwich, but there's a lot of reasons I can't eat Kansas City Strip all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing these sort of preference-based polls miss. Oh, so I got some information here oh, yay. about who these people are. Voxburner questioned the 16 to 24-year-olds online from September 25th to October 18th, so it's a three-week period. Half of the respondents were sourced through student money-saving website studentbeans.com. 
and half through a broader youth research panel that is mm. not named. Student beans? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Whatever. So this is not a representative no. sample um, by any means. And I'm, I don't know what student beans does except that it's described here as a money saving website. And insofar as most students need to save money, right. many students, you know, live on a limited budget. Perhaps that is a confounding factor, the monetary factor there mm-hmm. that an ebook is cheaper than a print book, but first you have to get the ebook technology. Right. Um, and if you're really pinching pennies, you go to the library a lot. Right. And you get, you know, and maybe you're going to be um, using print books there more often. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that part makes sense that uh, if you're, and if the preference for physical books is because uh, you can't afford a Kindle um, or you've never tried reading an ebook, you don't want to start buying ebooks. If you're in school, I, I don't think that um, textbooks have really been cracked well no. as, as ebooks yet. Um, Academic so that, publishing is a cartel. Let's just so that, be honest about it. Yeah. That. So that could be a piece of it. Um, as well, but you know, predictably, the book turnet was like, "Oh, good, it's I know, not the, it's not the end of days <laughs> everything's going to be okay, folks. Because Shut her down the, because the kids like paper." Yeah, so that that really got me thinking about what a weird. I mean, prefer it's not a it's not an election where we're gonna we're gonna elect ebooks over print. This is about habits over the long term mm-hmm. and the kinds of advantages ebooks have over print, and they are many. And print has some over ink are the kinds that aren't about aesthetics and pleasure it's about convenience accessibility um you know and things that we don't really come down to preference like mm-hmm. the reason i don't eat a porterhouse is because of expense and health um right, cholesterol and, and preparation where a peanut butter sandwich is cheap it's not terrible for me and it's accessible what kind of like an ebook frankly in a lot mm-hmm. of ways so i wondered if um if they'd add what question they sh- might have asked that could have Here's also, they they asked the students about physical preferences for physical products versus digital content and other types of media as well. Uh, And 48% of them said that they preferred um, material over digital for movies. 47% preferred uh, a physical product over digital product for newspapers and magazines. 32% still prefer CDs over digital products. And well, that doesn't make any sense. Not at all. And 31% preferred um, their video games as physical products versus digital content. So knowing that, I think that's a more complete picture of the participants in this study. Um, yeah. And and they are leaning heavily towards physical products all the way around. If I had to guess, I would guess it's related to the expense of hardware yeah, that, that right. supports the digital content. Yeah. And also when you're... I guess the other thing, especially in your 16 to 22-year-old range, like you and I have our own iTunes account and our own own Amazon account and things like that. Um, so we can log in with our credit card and buy whatever we want. But a lot of these people, especially if they're pinching pennies super hard, may not have their own credit card, mm-hmm. um, may not have some of the things that makes eBooks easy and convenient. You know, a lot of the reasons you and I sure. um, find them attractive. So I wonder if there's something to that as well is that – the physical goods can be passed around, not because, you know, for reasons other than the ebook versus print divide. Um, mm-hmm. That's more of a, a gating according to a financial, you know, infrastructure yeah. uh, as much as anything. So I don't know. I don't know what result that would have been really eye opening. I mean, if 99% of them said, you know, I prefer print, mm-hmm. um, 
maybe that would have, have, have been interesting. But at this question, I don't think can tell us too much about the actual future history of what right. percentage and of what is going to be. You know, I'd be interested, print. like if Goodreads would poll their users in that mm. age range. You yeah. know, because Goodreads certainly has the large membership numbers to do it. If they would poll 16 to 24 year olds about um, not just the word preference, but like what percentage of your reading, like that's what I'm interested yeah. in, you know, is not necessarily what do you like more because it's, it's possible that you do 90% of your reading digitally, but you prefer paper. Mm-hmm. Um, you like that 10% the best or, or vice versa. So it'd be interesting to know, like what percentage of your reading do you do in paper versus digitally, how satisfied are you with those experiences? Um, yeah, man, I could methodology nerd out hardcore. <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe other, we'll do that. Maybe I will write this survey for there. Book you Riot. go. I like that. I, I like that a lot. The other thing that just occurred to me as you were talking about that as well is um, we know that a relatively small slice of um, readers buy an inordinate number of the books that are sold in right. a given year, and so you wonder. So this is just people who entered into a survey, but they not they may not be representative buying dollars, mm-hmm. right? So if you want to use this to forecast what the publishing market is going to look like in the future, it may not be representative because book buying is so top heavy. Right, there are so many missing pieces of data yeah. about these people. Do they I mean, do they buy books or is it all library? Right. Books. How many books a year do they read? So, are these people that we would consider like serious readers or serious customers mm-hmm. of um, of publishers in the industry? There's this is a good headline, but it's kind of not much yeah. more than that. And, and that's not to say that if we somehow got just power reader responses, that it would favor ebook. I don't know that it would at all. Um, but I would like that's data I would find more useful in doing any kind of forecast about uh, future trends. Okay, yeah, agreed. Uh, let's do it's it's award season time. It is. We've been talking about those a lot. We talked about the Goodreads finalists. Yeah, we did. We thought we should follow up. I think, I'm not sure this is the list I would use for myself to try to decide which books to read, Mm -hmm. but I think this is the most interesting year-end thing. Oh, for sure. The Goodreads, the Goodreads results, right? By far the biggest community of people submitting books and voting on them. Um, It's interesting because it's actual readers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not you know, five guys at the New York Times making a list, right. um, which I mean, those lists are interesting, and which came out too. this week to the 110 mm-hmm. from the New York Times, which tend to be the most sort of watched. But right. Yeah, I the think, 100 notable books. In the I think this 10. is more interesting from just a watching things perspective, um, because Goodreads says there were more than 1.9 million votes cast. Oh my God. Wow. Um, let's see what what let's just talk about a couple of these. What struck you? Well, our boy Dan Brown is representing. There he is, mystery and thriller. He won the mystery thriller category for Inferno. Yep. Uh, Margaret Atwood, who is a favorite at Book Riot mm-hmm. and pretty much everywhere else, uh, won fiction. the science fiction category for Mad Adam. Stephen King won the horror uh, category for Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. Not surprised to see Neil Gaiman win the fantasy category for The Ocean at the End of the Lane. I'm a little surprised by the fiction. That's pick. what I was going to say. Yeah, we'll say it. Khaled Hosseini for And the Mountains Echoed, which, I mean, it's not. this is not a dark horse candidate. I mean, he wrote one of the most popular um, crossover, not crossover, uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literary fiction, but it became a giant, um, the Kite Runner became a huge hit. Yeah. But this book came out, and there was a lot of talk about it, but it didn't have the kind of follow-through that I would expect, you know, the Goldfinch or... Mm-hmm. Um, 
the Lowland or let's see, I'm trying to think of what other, the other big ones were, you know, those two or 10th of December, um, things like that. And it won. It won. They don't tell us, um, well, they do tell us how many votes everything got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's really transparent, yeah, which it's is very, nice. So it got 24,686 vote, beat the next runner-up, Jody Pucos, the storyteller, by about 3,000 votes. All right. Um, and then from there, it was Me Before You by Jojo Moyes. Moyes, do you know how to say that? I don't. 19,000. And then it really falls off to the Goldfinch at 9,000. So those top three were, you know, head and shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um uh, more popular than everything else. Kate Atkinson's Life After Life won the historical fiction category. And I'm I'm really interested in that result because that seems to have been a book that either you loved or you really couldn't yeah. stand. Readers uh, seemed really split. It doubled on up it. the next one. Philip Gregory's new book, The White Princess, uh, got twice as many votes almost. So it, 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 uh, it ran away from it. Um, other ones that people might be interested, young adult fiction, Eleanor and Park uh, mm-hmm. by Rainbow... Rowell, Rowell, do you know how to say that? I I always say Rowell, but that she might took be wrong. the first. She took the top two spots. Fangirl um, was second, so she really cleaned up there. She's having a good year, and uh, Veronica Roth, no surprise, no, won the young well, adult fantasy for Allegiant. Um, I'm well. I guess it's just so many people read that, but it wasn't the runaway hit. I mean, it, it got thirty six. It got thirty six thousand votes, and the next one, Clockwork Princess by Cassandra Clare. Got four thirty four thousand seven two seven. Mm, okay, pretty close. And I will tell you, I'm not surprised because Allegiant. It was tough, tough to get through. The super fans had some problems with the ending of that. Yeah, one and too. not it's not the ending. I'm talking about all the parts between the covers. Ah, uh, yes. Um. Anyway, that's <laughs> all those pages to read. Yeah, I know. Um, um, Hyperbole I'm, and a half by Ali Brosh, yeah. which is based on the awesome and hilarious uh, sort of web comic blog that that she made famous. The book is relatively new, and she won the humor category. Happy to see that. Uh, mm-hmm. Rick Reardon's new book, The House of Hades, won middle grade and children's. Oh, and J.R.R. Tolkien won the poetry category. Well, I'm sure the poets are going to love that. <laughs> For the fall, <laughs> For the fall of, of, Arthur. of Arthur. Which is assembled by his son, I believe, out of some um, fragments that Tolkien left behind. And- the nonfiction. So this work, this list worked for me for discovery in mm. in one way. I did not know that Temple Grandin I didn't had a new book out. It's called The Autistic Brain: Thinking Across the Spectrum, uh, and it won the nonfiction category. Temple Grandin uh, wrote is Seeing in Pictures. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, I think so. Really terrific and insightful. She's she's just so smart and very insightful about her experience as a person um, with autism and the not just the challenges but the the benefits and the way that uh, she's been able to use having autism and the way that she thinks uh, to create a really interesting life and career for herself. So I will definitely be reading uh, her new book. I'm happy to have discovered that here on Goodreads. Good cool. job, Goodreads. Good good job, Goodreads. Um, let's see. It looks like the young adult category had the most total votes. As Not far surprised as I can by tell. that. Um, young adult and young adult fantasy. Actually, young adult fantasy looks like it had the most total votes, which from my experience of Goodreads is not at all surprising. Uh, oh, and while we're talking about voting for books that you love, oh, yeah. I'll just mention that on bookriot.com right now through Monday the uh, 9th, you'll be able to go onto our site. There's a poll available where you can enter in your three favorite new books of 2013 and share them with us and all of the readers. And then we will post the list of Book Riot readers' top books of the year. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that overlaps with the Goodreads list or doesn't overlap. And we'll be publishing um, the Book Riot contributors list of favorite books of the year as well. And I've seen that list. And so I can tell you it is just as uh, eclectic and weird as we are. Yep. Um, let's do a, another year-end thing. We've got so many things we've got to run through some of these. So Publishers Weekly, I don't think it was the last week, but maybe after we had done the last show, mm-hmm. announced their publishing person of the year. And his name escapes me all of a Oren sudden. Oren Teicher. He's the president yep. of the American Booksellers Association. The ABA. Um, basically, they're citing the, I guess, uptick is the verb or the noun we're using mm-hmm. in independent bookstore sales uh, in 2013. You wouldn't call it a uh, surge, but an uptick. Um, and what the ABA and the independent bookstores have done to rally um, and recover somewhat from the assault they've been under, which I, neither of you, neither of us, were thrilled with that pick. No, and you know, last year the pick was E.L. James, which you can laugh at all you want, but E.L. James, as we've mentioned on the show, made some really tangible, uh, created some really tangible benefits in her success for people in publishing, including that everyone who worked for Random House took home a $5,000 bonus <laughs> last year, thanks to, and like literally everyone at Random House, not just the fancy yep. people, uh, thanks to the sales of Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, and I remember and that defense was, of that choice, and boy, did I get you hammered did, for that you last did year. We, Man. Every now and then, I revisit that on our Facebook page, and it's fun. <laughs> it's still fun to see people responses to it um you know so you don't have to agree with that and you certainly don't have to think that this pw selection um as my friend josh pointed out means anything um well if you okay then no no award means anything okay no right like it's it's, publishers weekly is supposed to be a gold standard publication of what's happening in the industry and i am happy that independent booksellers are you know, having something of a comeback um, that they have been able to bounce back from a few really difficult years and that we've read fewer stories this year about indie bookstores closing. Um, I'm, I am happy that my indie is still open here in Richmond and uh, that many indies are thriving, but it's just not the coolest thing that happened in books this year. No. And so the reason we're, I mean, that's an interesting story too, but um, if you've been listening to the show, you know that we've been big fans of Harper Collins moves especially mm-hmm. in digital content this year. Scribd, Oyster, Kindle Matchbook, the story that we have that they're partnering with American Airlines to give um, travelers mm-hmm. some free eBooks, but also they can browse things, making things available there. And Mashable did a nice piece that I thought was really interesting um, about uh, the chief digital officer over at HarperCollins and her name, and I'm going to butcher it, I'm so sorry, uh, I guess is Chantal Restivo-Alessi. And she is our new hero. And I think that I th- she's my pick for yeah, publishing who, person of the year. That's who I would pick too. Yeah. Cause we've, we've talked so many times of this year about the cool things that Harper Collins is doing and like every new initiative that rolls out Harper Collins is on has board. been the first or sometimes the only of uh-huh. the big five publishers to be trying out this new thing. And they really seem to have that spirit of like, well, we're not sure which of these experiments are going to work. So we're going to try them all and see uh, and go from there. And that's really the only way to move forward is to try the stuff and, you know, toss the ones that don't work and keep the ones that do and, refine them and make them better. Um, But this is a really great interview and and feature of her at Mashable. And uh, I would, I would like to mail her a gold star, (laughs) (laughs) maybe a scepter with a book on the end of it. Um, That would have been a more interesting choice 
for Publishers Weekly, um, someone who, you know, works for a publisher who is pushing publishing forward, um, and, and really forward, not just reactively, um, forward or in the way that, um, you know, I, I would love to see indie bookstores do more of the kinds of things that, uh, Chantal Restivo Alessi is doing, um, in not just reacting to the challenges, but, but taking steps, uh, into new things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And she only started there in the middle of last year. So she mm-hmm. is, um, she has shaken up the farm, uh, uh, as far as HarperCollins digital initiatives have gone. So that, that, that's our person of the year. You could talk me into, I think, I think it was during the, I think it was after September 11th, maybe in times 2012 person of, excuse me, 2002 person of the year was the American soldier. I remember mm-hmm. And I was thinking, if you wanted to go, and I think you could, I think there's a, there's a story about independent bookstores there, but I wouldn't go to the top. I'd go to rank and file. Yeah. I think I, if I were going to go that way, I'd go to Joe and Jane Bookseller mm-hmm. as the person of the year. I, I could get behind that because that's the lifeblood of independent bookstores. Let's be honest. It's not the chairman of the ABA. Give me a break. Yeah. Those are the people that are really, that's boots on the ground. You yeah. Know? And, and if you love your them... bookstore, it's probably because you've got someone great in that store. Right. They're the ones that are taking time to listen to you and to remember what you like and to recommend things and read stories to your kids and wrap your gifts for you and, and make your neighborhood a place that you want to live in a neighborhood that still has an independent bookstore. I yeah. think that's, that's the right way to go there. Yeah. And they're the ones that, you know, if you found something while you were browsing, it, those books don't just appear there randomly. Like they picked out what they think people are going to like. Right. In it's their really particular carefully selective. Um, so that's where I would go. So, all right. Well, boy, we got to skip down. We, yeah, let's, let's, let's do our next pick, sponsor. Let's do your next sponsor. Hit me, hit me with our sponsor. All right. So Random House Audiobooks is back. Uh, we've had them several times on the show now, and uh, they have built a website called tryaudiobooks.com. Uh, it recommends audiobooks for all types of listeners. So whether you're into crafting or fitness or travel or sci-fi or adventure, uh, they have an audiobook for you. You know, Random House is huge. Uh, and so you, there will be something there that you can like. Um, when you go to tryaudiobooks.com, you can check out clips of several titles for your niche, get a feel for whether you might like that. And they also have a feature called the personal audiobook assistant that recommends titles based on the length of time you're looking to fill, which is so super <laughs> useful. Very nice. If you're going on a six hour road trip. You don't want like a nine hour audiobook because <laughs> then you have to find three more hours somehow. Uh, that's with a the lot other... of time in the driveway. Yeah. Or if you're by yourself, I guess that's okay. But I've had it, you know, going on road trips before where we didn't finish the audiobook while we were traveling. And then my husband and I aren't in the car very much together. So it was like, well, let's turn on the audiobook and let's sit on the couch and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which might work for some people, just didn't work for me. But uh, you can also check out at tryaudiobooks.com, a place where you can click to complete... Uh, to get, excuse me, uh, you can download a complete audiobook of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz for free. Very nice. Uh, which would be great for holiday travel and also a, a good low risk way to try out audiobooks if you haven't been an audiobook listener. If you're a runner, if you're into crafting, uh, if you're going on a family road trip, they do have a section built there. So they've got um, resources for your trip. Like if you were going to New York City, um, books that you should listen to. Uh, the House of Hades by Rick Reardon is one of those. Uh, some Kate DiCamillo, who wrote um, The Miraculous Journey of 
Mm, I'm butchering this. <laughs> I will stop. <laughs> uh, the, the miraculous journey of... Mm. Uh, wait, Al Capone does my homework. That looks like a good one. <laughs> mm, Rebecca should have more coffee today. Uh, but there are tons of, uh, of great options here. And then you can go uh, to your audiobook uh, listener device of choice to download the titles or you can purchase them from Random House directly. Uh, so if you are looking for an audiobook recommendation for your holiday travel or you just want to give audiobooks a try uh, jeff you and i are both big audio oh baby fans you listen while you commute and uh, walking walking. the kids when i'm in the store when i'm sobbing quietly alone uh you know there's a book for everything, man. There is. There is. Did they have a site? They have a sobbing quietly alone section. Maybe I should recommend. No, that. we could we could build that at Book Riot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll build it right next to Methodology Corner. There you go, right next to Methodology Corner. So <laughs> thanks to tryoutabooks.com. Check them out uh, and see some audiobooks for your holiday travel time. Hopefully, you won't get stuck somewhere, but you probably will. And an audiobook is a good way to pass. I I I have to admit that I guess this year for me has really been the year of the audiobook. Uh, Mm-hmm. And me too. It does. If I get stuck on the train for an extra fifteen minutes, I don't mind if I've got the audiobook cooking. I really don't. I mean, assuming I'm not like running super late for something, but the actual sitting there waiting for the train to get moving is really pleasurable. It, it's changed. It changed a lot of my attitudes about some of that kind yeah, of stuff. I don't it makes mind a being in, in the car nearly as much yeah. for for longer drives as stuck I stuck in did traffic before. or something like I re- that. Yeah, and from Thanksgiving to Christmas, getting from like I live near Richmond City and getting from here out to the suburbs where the Trader Joe's is mm. uh, is I mean it's like running the gauntlet and it <laughs> takes about twice as long as it normally would. Mm. Um, thank you holidays. Right. Um, but I've been kind of like, oh, I don't really mind if the highway is way backed up because I'll just listen to another couple chapters of this thing or the dog gets longer walks because the chapter's not quite over yet (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just it's nice and i found i like different genres in audiobooks than i like me too in books that i uh, sit down and and read much Uh, more nonfiction for me yeah and there's that conversational thing at any rate i think it's worth a shot if you have been on the fence about audiobooks you can at least try it for free uh, at tryaudiobooks.com and so thank you to random house audio you know, it'd be a good gift too if you've got someone in your life that has, you know, everyone, everyone. A lot of mm-hmm. folks have smartphones these days, uh, and if you have someone that hasn't tried an audiobook, a gift of one would be a pretty interesting thing to think about. Um, There's also in Sky Mall. No, where? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why are we doing? <laughs> really? Is it audiobooks you know, for dogs? You know you look at Sky Mall too. Oh yeah, I'm sure I do. Uh, there's a little device thing that you can buy that just comes preloaded with um, audiobooks of 100 classics. Well, so that's you, interesting. Yeah, and it, I, it looks to me sort of like a... It's a little closer to like a Walkman than it is to an iPod. So if there is a person in your life that wants to try audiobooks for whom you think might enjoy audiobooks, but is a little bit more like technophobic uh, or doesn't have a smartphone, but likes the classics. Yeah. I, actually, I was looking at it and I was like, you know, that's really... It looks clunky to me, but it might not be terrible. <laughs> but maybe that was just that I had spent like all day in an airport. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, all day in the airport, a lot of things start seeming attractive. <laughs> that bourbon chicken down at the Panda Express even starts looking Ooh, good. Ooh, bad idea. That's a bad <laughs> idea, man. All right. Let, let's do two more stories, and then we're going to wrap this up. Uh, I'll pick one, and you pick one. I'm going to okay. pick Barnes & Noble. Um, I'm sorry to do this to everyone, but this is something we talk about. Barnes & Noble <laughs> released their quarterly statement. I, 
I know a lot of us are, you and I, I think, especially have mm-hmm. emotional investment in Barnes & Noble existing in addition to our, our friends at independent bookstores. But Barnes & Noble itself um, made a big difference to me when mm-hmm. one came to Kansas City when I was growing up in Lawrence and had never seen anything like it. Hard to remember now how difficult it was at one point um, to, to find new books mm-hmm. and to even see what was out there. Um, and, you know, it's it's always nice to go and browse and have a cup of coffee and um, really important, increasingly important for the publishing industry now that Borders is gone to have a big dedicated chain um, of bookstores. So I think you and I and a lot of people who follow books are watching Barnes & Noble with hope <laughs> or yes. at least something like grim despair or not quite grim despair. <laughs> Cautious optimism Caution, well, maybe? Or optimistic caution. I, I don't know. But they, I think just the couple of stats I'm going to give you down. Their total revenue was down um, last year, uh, excuse me, uh, last quarter, mm-hmm. but it wasn't as bad as it was last year. But they actually made a profit over the quarter. So, so they're not selling as many books, but they're making more money. And I think one thing that's happening is they've been aggressively shuttering the mm-hmm. underperforming stores or stores that are in really expensive places that the cost of employing and renting out the space and getting things in and out, like the Barnes & Noble down in West 4th Street here in the village closed last year because it's some of the most expensive real estate in the world these days, um, a, a largest store in, in Greenwich Village in New York City. So, But the places where their stores are doing really well, I think it sounds like they're doing pretty well. They're making money in those places. So Barnes & Noble is no longer really expanding, but they're consolidating and figuring out how to make money in this new world. Um, the the worst stat here is Nook revenue, mm-hmm. um, which dropped thirty two percent. Is that just devices or is it uh, device and accessory sales? That's not okay. even, that's not content as far as I as far as I understand. Digital content sales uh, dropped twenty one percent. Okay, I'm not as sad about that as Nook or well, ebooks. If it if the ebook sales were dipping in a big in a in a bigger way 21 percent. okay that's yeah that's bad but it's not as bad as 32 (laughs) okay all right so relative badness yes yeah i guess i'm not surprised that device sales no i'm not um you know sort of one brand device sales i think are going down and people are shifting towards a preference um for tablets that and you know multifunction devices the ipad you know the new ipads are doing really well android has come out with some um beautiful and also really slick tablets mm-hmm. that are that are seem to be great also where you can do all kinds of things uh of course amazon has tablets kobo makes tablets no- barnes and noble had the nook tablet um and i think they've said they're they're going to focus on e-readers and not build tablets anymore yep, right. so uh not really surprised to see their device sales dropping off um interesting it'll be interesting to watch what happens to their ebook sales yeah it, it's it, I was one. I'd say about two years ago, I was really concerned that they needed to get on the ebook train and make that the core a core part of their business. But as ebook sales have ebook as a percentage of the overall publishing world have not flattened a little bit, but the fast growth has slowed down. Mm-hmm. It does seem like there might be a, a future for just print retail outlets, and maybe it's not going to be necessary for Barnes and Noble to exist to have a really robust um, digital presence. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see um, how that's going to go. I should also say that the quarter they're reporting to, ebook sales were down quite a bit across the market. So mm. some of it might not just be Barnes and Noble ebook sales. We don't have Fifty Shades um, and a Hunger Games movie. We'll see after Catching Fire comes out if they get a bump 
because um, those move some units there. Catching fires out. Oh, uh, sorry, it just came. Well, we don't have the results. The results, <laughs> yeah. the quarterly oh, right, okay. results. Uh, going I have forward. seen it and it was good. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard it's great. Um, you want to pick one? Which one? You I do. Say? So I'm picking uh, the cool thing of the week is just one book. Yeah, okay, great. This is a gr- it's a cool website where they pick people that they think are cool, uh, all sorts of people, and they ask those people to recommend just one book and to explain mm-hmm. why. Uh, so you can go to justonebook.org and you can see uh, like Mallory Ortberg, who is one of the creators of The Toast, which is yep. a, a great new website that we love. She picks A Canticle for Leibovitz uh, by Walter Miller, and you can read her explanation there. Uh, Laura, looking... Ju- Laura June, who is one of the senior editors at The Verge, mm-hmm. um, picked Looking Backward um, by Edward Bellamy. And it's about um, – it's it's actually it was published in 1887 – and this guy falls asleep in 1887. He doesn't wake up again until the year 2000. Oh, nice. So it's trying to think about what 2000 would look like 113 years ago, um, which is interesting. Jason Snell. I was just looking at yeah, his pick. Uh, he... Who is, writes for Macworld and Tech Hive. And also um, I listen to him on the Incomparable podcast, which is mm-hmm. a geek-related podcast. Picked, not surprisingly good pick, among others by... Uh, Joe Walton. That's a great book. Which you loved. I haven't read that. I have. I someday when I have a bunch of time. That's yeah, on my it's list about to a, get to. a young girl who sort of is like a man without a country. She has lost her sister and is separated from her family and living with like distant relatives in a little village, I think in Britain. Um, and she finds she discovers science fiction and she finds a science fiction reading group at her library and. Um, the people that she meets because of the books that she has discovered really change her life. And it's that, it's a great novel uh, mm-hmm. and that, it, that most of us, I think, can probably relate to that feeling that you have met other book people. And so now you have found your tribe. And I'd say from the books that we, there's some of the books I don't know on this, but from the books I recognize, they are interesting, non-obvious picks. Yeah. And it's, I think that's, it's a really interesting question to press people on if you get to recommend just one book how do you pick the one do you pick the one that you think um could have the biggest impact do you pick the one that you think is the most appealing to the largest group right, of people yeah. you know there's a lot of flexibility in how to do that but you can submit yours as well at just right. they might decide to feature them and even if you don't we'd be really curious uh, mm-hmm. to know what your just one book would be i've been trying to decide what mine might be and i'm just i don't know yet i can't get over the do i try to pick something i'm pretty sure they haven't read versus I'll take a chance that they've already read. Because like if it's if it's someone who's never read a book before, that's a different question than they're mm. you know already a reader. Because some of these like now maybe I'm wrong, but I can't believe that. Uh, but I'm mean, just to pick on Laura June. Like looking backward would be the book she'd want everyone <laughs> to read. I think it's an interesting pick. Yeah. Um, and especially interesting if the if the goal is a book you maybe haven't thought about or know about. It's a great pick. But I mean, we've got things like the Iliad and mm-hmm. Moby Dick, and you know, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think reading the people's um, explanations for how they picked their books and why is an interesting part of it too. And uh, it'll be fun to keep an eye on that. They they started with an, a really interesting group of people, so I'm I'm excited to see how yeah, just one. I'm book following will them on Twitter, so I'm going to watch what they what they pick we'll here. Expand. And you want to hear about new books? Let's this hear week? about new books. It's we're getting down to the end of the publishing year, but you picked some stuff out for us. I did. I have a couple. Okay, great. Um, we're going to do a little bit of nepotism, but mostly oh, because yes. it's awesome. 
uh, Eric Smith, who works for Cork Books, which is a great little publisher, uh, and is he also writes for uh, for us at Book Riot. He has a really fantastic new book out called The Geek's Guide to Dating uh, that's written primarily toward a male reader, but the ladies could get something out of it as well. And uh, Eric is a big gamer, is a self-prescri- uh, self-described geek, and he runs the popular Geekadelphia blog um, and the awards in Philadelphia. So he knows uh, he knows what he's writing about here, and he directs the reader, uh, addresses them as Ready Player One. And you're going to be player one, and now you're going to go find your player two. And so it, it really is about <laughs> how to navigate the dating world um, if meeting people and socializing and dating is not the most comfortable thing for you, but you really understand um, geek culture and dating. There were a lot of references in the book that I didn't get because I have I'm not a big um, and I'm not a big gamer, but some of them were uh, surface. Uh, sci-fi enough that I at least sort of like got the vibe of what he was talking about. I think um, if you or someone that you know is really into geek culture, into sort of sci-fi fantasy stories, into gaming, um, it's a great book. It's really well written and fun. Um, and really proud of Eric for for that accomplishment. So we want to tell you about it. It's, I think it would also be a great little stocking stuffer. And he's a bona fide geek. He is. He's and like, he's engaged, he's, so he has both sides right, of the right, equation. Right, right. This isn't some. He, uh, this he isn't proposed, a put on. Yeah, Eric proposed earlier this year uh, to a lovely woman. Um, he proposed by carving out a, a John Green book and putting the ring in it, and proposed in a bookstore. So, like, Eric knows about mm-hmm. geeky dating habits, and he knows that they can work. Uh, that's called the Geek's Guide to Dating, and you can get it. I would guess wherever books are wherever sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> so confetti cannons for, for Yay, Eric. Eric. We're proud of him. And I have a paperback pick this week that Great. is like from Rebecca's idiosyncratic uh, fiction reading called Elders by Ryan McElvain. It is a uh, debut novel about two young uh, Mormon guys who are on their mission uh, in a small town in South America and uh, narrated primarily by uh, by one of them. So they are in this small town. They're going door to door in the heat, knocking on people's doors, asking them if they can preach the gospel to them and and ultimately trying to convert them to Mormonism. But it's uh, this guy is 20. He's facing major decisions about his life and how what direction he's going to take and really wrestling with like what what does it mean to be on this mission? What does it mean to like to commit your life to something that you believe in? What does it even mean to believe in something that the that's this big and that you can't see and that um, like a church that wants to, to really inform the way that you live your life. Um, I thought it was really smart and insightful and, and just a tad, it's funny too. Um, I read it when it came out in hardback last year, because this is like a super irresistible thing (laughs) in fiction. (laughs) <laughs> to me. That's one of your genre kryptonites. It is one of my genre kryptonites. Um, but it's called Elders by Ryan McElvain. Um, I thought it was really just a great novel. So if that's a thing that, uh, a subject matter that sounds interesting to you, I thought he handled it really well. And, and he is also a young, he's a young writer. He is a former, um, he, he went on a mission as a young Mormon man. And so he also knows what he's writing about. And I thought brought a lot of sensitivity to the challenges of that experience. It was really interesting. Nice. Those are our new books, and Those that are, is our show. That's our show. Um, so as always, you can find us at bookwrite.com, writing about all sorts of bookish stuff. Find us on Twitter at bookwrite. You can find me on Twitter at Reading Ape. You can find her at Twitter uh, at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Uh, what else do we need to tell the, the people? 
You can find the show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast. And the show notes will include a link to a short survey that'll take you just a couple of minutes and will help us know who you are uh, and get a better sense of what kind of sponsors to have for the show. So we can keep having good, interesting, relevant stuff uh, like the tryaudiobooks.com and the terminology app. And thanks again to them for sponsoring the show. Yeah, thanks so much for sponsoring Uh, the show. If you happen to be listening, as soon as the episode drops, you can get the Teespring (laughs) Read Harder shirt uh, before the end of the day on December 8th on yep. Sunday. And we'll, and get, we'll be back. We're going to have one more week of just news, right? Is that what we're going to do? Mm, and then we're going to have kind so. of a year-end wrap-up show mm-hmm. the week after? Is that kind of what we're planning? I think, I we think talked so. About. It depends, unless there's some huge... Unless J.K. Rowling turns out to be the Pope. And then, you know what? Then all bets are off. I'll have a special <laughs> episode about that. All right. Well, we will talk to you guys later. See you later, Rebecca. <laughs> Bye, Jeff.